Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast presented by Huddle Basketball and Huddle Assist, your best solution to capture and analyze every aspect of the game from the first tip to the final buzzer. I love to have new, interesting guests and people that selfishly, but not really, that I can learn from. Cody Topper, the assistant coach at the University of Memphis, is one of those guys. I've been aware of Cody for years when watching him, studying him from afar, and really, really have admired his path. I think you're going to hear from a guy that's coached at every level. He's a terrific player in college at Cornell. He's a very bright guy, uh, really understands everything a young coach should know, anal- the use of analytics. But the thing that really jumps is his teaching ability and his passion for the game. After this quick timeout, Cody Toppert. Hi, this is Brendan Sir. I'm talking to coaches, PE teachers, ADs, and camp directors because I'm so excited to announce our newest Coaching You podcast partnership with my friends from 360 Hoops. What if I told you that I've witnessed the most innovative game, training, and exercise for kids that I've seen in decades? 360 Hoops takes up less space than traditional basketball and allows for more players to get involved in developing their basketball fundamentals. The three-sided basket is attached to wheels for easy transportation and can adjust from 7 to 10 feet. The uses are endless, from elementary and middle school recess to physical education class. It can also be used for team practice and skill development training for teams with players of all ages. For more information, visit www.play360hoops.com. To learn more about this new innovative product, make sure you mention Coaching You for a 10% discount. And I'm so excited today, Cody Toppert, the assistant coach at the Memphis Tigers, is our guest. Cody, welcome, my friend. Coach, I'm so happy to be on here. You don't even have any idea how much Coaching You has helped me in my career, so it's definitely a blessing to join you on this podcast and and hopefully share some insights that people will find exciting. I know you've had some great guests on, so I'll do my best. Well, you you know, as a as a you know struggling academic student at Cornell University, I think you'll <laughs> I think you'll overachieve once again. So let me ask you, who do you play for at Cornell? So it was an interesting story there. Um, I went to the Adidas ABCD camp uh, going into my senior year. And really got on the radar with a lot of the Ivy League schools because I had good test scores. Right. Uh, I was looking at Princeton, Penn, and Cornell were kind of my three leaders. Bill Carmby left and went to Northwestern. Love Bill. And then my yeah, great guy, my lead recruiter at Penn uh, was Steve Donahue. He left and took the head job at Cornell <laughs> because Coach Scott Thompson uh, got cancer and retired. Remember so he retired and then went to charge on with the coach of her cancer thing. So I was uh, Steve Donahue's first recruit to Cornell. Uh, where we went in and, and tried to bring in more basketball players and fewer doctors and lawyers and uh, turn that culture around, which, uh, you know, Coach D, is he's the best now back at the University of Pennsylvania as the head coach and one of the best coaches that uh, that I think are out there. Yeah, Steve is an amazing, amazing coach. Uh, and, you know, his style of play, I think, you know, to, to for Cornell to do as well as they have done under him, I thought was amazing. What makes him so special as a coach? Yeah, I think it's two. I think it's twofold. He, where working with him was the first time that I ever really incorporated the the nuts and bolts of our offensive concepts within our player development, 
And so kind of seeing the blend between player development and offense, including execution and things of that nature, was really where we kind of separated ourselves. What he did so interestingly was take kind of the beeline, shuffle cut, double stagger stuff. Right. The Princeton concepts behind the 41 cut game, playing on the high post with splits. And he blended those together. And the way we taught it was uh, in three-man player development type actions. And so we really learned how to see the game and think the game. Obviously, we had some high academic guys. I think there's a direct correlation, though, between SAT score and athleticism. The higher the SAT score, <laughs> the, the lower the athleticism, it seems like. So we weren't an athletic group. We had to go up in, in our early conference games. I mean, we're playing Syracuse, the Notre Dame. My second college game was at Notre Dame. But we're competing with these guys um, basically because of the way he's implementing what he does. And we're getting a lot of open shots, shooting a lot of threes. And then once he brought in kind of that next level of player right after I left, you know, three straight Ivy League championships and a trip to the Sweet 16 where they lost to uh, John Wall, Boogie Cousins in Kentucky. But uh, tremendous coach. And I think that's where it starts. And he also really understands the defensive side. And that's what makes him such a deadly coach on offense because he's moving uh, the def- defensive players around like it's a chessboard, right? Moving the low man, distorting the tag, things of that nature. That was the first time I really kind of saw all of that stuff. And then, you know, after I'd go on and play over in Europe, I just had even better uh, fond memories of what I learned in college because that's what gave me a head start on my coaching career. So, you know, what I've experienced is uh, the, the great Princeton offense, which every time I speak to any of the Princeton guys who I love all of them because they're such great teachers, and I always tease them about how your mom or dad sent you to this iconic school as all the Ivies are, and then you come away and say, yeah, I want to be a basketball coach. And and they're they're heartbroken, <laughs> you know, every one of them. <laughs> exactly. And, and, yes. and, and, it, and it's like, I, you know, I could have sent you to, you know, the local D2 state school if that's what you want. <laughs> but, you know, but I, I think, you know, they all they all learn from Pete Carrill and then, you know, and Steve Donahue and people like that. But, you know, when what I see, though, and then, you know, so we don't have very much of that in the NBA. Uh, Phil Jackson was the only one with the triangle that I think the and tell me your thoughts, because you've now been in the pros where uh, when you have to read and react and you have to think the game as opposed to running a player, as my friend Isaiah says, a pattern, you know, um, you know, it's really you really have to really be a smart player. And not a smart person, a smart player. And it's much harder to teach. It takes longer. Um, your thoughts on that as far as in the pros? I think what you just hit on to me is the foundation of true player development, right? right. Because we can add all these cool tools, right? And we got to build our skills and whatnot and be able to make all the passes and shoot, pass, all that stuff. But if you don't know when to use a tool, like when to make a read, when to make a pass – uh, decision-making at the end of the day is the name of the game. And what we see a lot in the NBA today is what I call conceptual offense, right? And it's true reading and react. The term reading and react kind of got overplayed five to 10 years ago, right? With the mm-hmm. reading react offense. But what it ended up being was just kind of deter- predetermine what you're going to do and, and not do what you're doing based upon the defense. Because in college, in college offense, we see a lot of what you just hit on the patterned offense. Sure. And to me, I think, what it takes are is the ability to truly read the defense. Don't try to impose your will on the game. Take what the defense gives you. And there's always going to be a compromising situation for them, right? Because if you get two to the ball, inevitably that third defender is going to have to enter the picture. And now it's going to be about quick decisions, attacking closeouts, creating rotations, and finding the right shot. 
But if you come in and just run a pattern offense, for instance, we'll just stay ball screen continuity, right? Great concept. I mean, it works well at a lot of different levels. But the crux of the ball screen continuity, I, I kind of, it's like the song that never ends to an extent, right? Because you end up using a lot of ball screens and going side to side. But do you ever really put two on the ball? Right. right? Because the minute somebody goes under a ball screen at the NBA level, everything stops. We rescreen immediately, right? It's almost like a rule. Or the minute somebody goes under a dribble handoff and teaching big men coming from college to the NBA, you can't roll out of under coverage is one of the hardest things to do because they're used to just screen and put their head on the rim. But reality, if we don't create the advantage, we don't want to put our head on the rim. Um, and I'll just piggyback on to what you, what you touched on in terms of, you know, talking about Pete Carrill. To me, where Pete Carrill's real fingerprints are still on the game mm-hmm. is after, after the play breaks down. Like if you watch the Miami Heat, I call it flash game. Yeah. Right when a play breaks down, we don't have an uh, an advantage. Bam Adebayo is one of the best in the NBA, if not the best. At understanding no advantage created, he comes right back to the action, and now they hit the big and they play either pass and chase game or splits. And you know, obviously, it's it's different than the well patterned version of the Princeton, but that theory to me still holds true. And that's where the real players are separated from the fake players, or the guys who are able to make decisions. And I think how you incorporate that in your player development is really going to determine whether you can use conceptual offense or whether you have to be a set play team or a patterned offense team. That's a great observation. You know, when uh, when Pete, when uh, Jeff Petrie brought Pete Carrill uh, to the Sacramento Kings, I thought it was just fabulous because I've known him since I was in high school in Jersey. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Jeff loved Pete as anyone that played for him did. Uh, because of his authenticity, and then he brings him there, and you know, here's this little guy. He's sitting there with Chris Webber, Vladi Divac. They got all these guys, you know, Peja and them. And he's and he basically, this is how brilliant Pete is. He takes the really cool parts of the Princeton offense, and he incorporates it basically into the horn set. And basically, you can play it from the middle or from the side. And they called it corner, Rick Adelman, yep. especially, you know, when he moved it to the side. And, you know, to be able to teach those guys how to play, I thought that's that's so brilliant on Pete's part to not try to, you know, he could go a minute when there was no shot clock and just, you know, put you to sleep. Uh, hmm. Not the defense, I mean, not the fans. Yes. And, yes. And, and you'd be chasing them around, especially the big teams. And all of a sudden now, you know, you know, he brings that to the NBA, and he can get a shot off in 16 seconds every time he wants, and a better shot than he could have of any pattern. And I thought that was absolutely brilliant. And then he took it into Eddie Jordan, who was an assistant, yep. and taught Eddie the entire Princeton offense. And then Eddie ran that uh, with New Jersey. <laughs> and, he, you know, who else did he teach it to? Eddie taught it also to Lawrence Frank, and they taught it to Byron Scott. And and next thing you know, they got these guys who had played for Riley and different people, and they they these guys are now running the Princeton, the Pete Carrill Princeton, but they're running it at really quick speed. And boy, they were a pain in the ass to guard for years. And and I thought that was a, that was that was really a testament to Pete. I'll say this too: the, the interesting thing about about that is uh, twofold. Number one is I think a common misconception about the Princeton offense is that it has to be the 35 second shot clock offense because it doesn't sure because it creates quick triggers as quick as you want them, right? It's whether or not mm-hmm. you're going to take advantage of the first one, the second one. And what Pete did at Princeton was understood who his personnel was, right? We're going to go play UCLA. 
we don't want them in a, in a, in a sped up game. We want to slow them down. Right. And that's how obviously they're taking advantage of all those back cuts and getting that iconic win. Now, the interesting thing to me, too, when you take the corners offense, that was the first introduction of using your big men in the NBA as playmakers. Yes. Right. And it was it was incredibly successful with the passing ability of the Vladi Divots of the Chris Weber. Right. And the interesting thing to me now is the next iteration of that to me became the delay offense where now you're yep. going to five out and now your big man's in the trail. And anytime you check down and hit your big in the trail, he becomes that playmaker to the second side. And we see a lot of remnants of that now all over the place in early clock situations where that five man's trailing in total five out concepts and you, you've got these low splits. And so what we've done essentially taking the corner offense, move the guy from the elbow to the top of the key and just try to create even more space for elite athletes to operate. And to me, the teams that operate uh, the delay offense uh, the best, right? Well, to me, I mean, you know, obviously Denver is is great because Jokic is great. He's a great passer, right? That's what makes him elite. But those teams do a great job of taking advantage of early clock situations because they don't have a kick ahead, they don't have a drag, they check down to the trail. And now those slip screens that we're seeing when teams are switching those split screens, uh, those slips are wide open. And and to me, it's as deadly as can be. But that's kind of like we've seen three iterations of quote unquote Princeton as it's kind of formulated to what it is now in today's five out. You know, in the NBA, as you as you you know, really observed uh, as a student and teacher, of the game is that it's a copycat league, right? In a big mm-hmm. way, and so now everyone adapting the the five out to delay, and now you know you have Bud, you know Bud's doing a great job both in Atlanta and in Milwaukee with it, uh, and then all of a sudden. You know, Brad Stevens says, you know, I'm no fool. I'm going to use this, you know, with the Celtics and stuff. And the thing, the one, the guy I give so many, so much credit to is because I've known him since he was a damn ball boy for Portland was Spolstra. You know, I mean, when you work for Pat Riley, I mean, he was, everything was pattern. I mean, you know, you know, the Lakers, you know, showtime with magic. But when he came, when Pat came from L.A. to New York and then to Miami, he was. He made our teams with the Pistons look like, uh, you know, the fast break Celtics of yesteryear. You know, I mean, he played so slow, but man, they executed and they were smash mouth basketball. And then the, what I love about Riles is he let Eric evolve as a coach to go to this style of play. And he, what a brilliant coach he is at that now. I, I think it's really made Spo play at all different styles as a coach and be so successful that I love because he's growing as a coach. To me, the best thing about Eric Spolstra, and this is the hardest thing I think for coaches to do is to win and still change to stay ahead of the curve. Right. Mm -hmm. Because what kind of guts does it take to change everything that you're doing when it's worked in the past? Right. But he's so smart. He understands when I had LeBron, I had a certain package, right. With LeBron, D Wade, the big three, all that stuff. Those guys left, it took a different package, and still they would win and get to the playoffs. Even as or soon as early as when they traded Hassan Whiteside to see the changes that he made to the offense, to me was astonishing because obviously they blew away all expectations getting to the finals and all those things. And what they did was they brought back a beautiful element of basketball that wasn't predicated on isolations. It was predicated on quick advantages and quick decisions, all five guys involved. And I think that from a fan perspective, you know, we all enjoyed watching it. But from a coach perspective, you have to have the utmost respect for a coach who is able to constantly change, stay ahead of the curve, right, see what's next, and continue to win in the process. I mean, it's unbelievable. To win at a high level 
in the NBA, which is the most competitive league in the world, uh, on such a consistent basis is uh, is no small feat, to say the least. And you have an iconic boss that can really coach sitting there and encouraging you to do it. I think that is neat, you know. And and you know, I mean, when Riles was coaching the Knicks in the Heat, they all of a sudden shifted from Showtime to a hell of a defensive squad. And now to let the guy play two three zone for like yes. a whole half in an NBA Finals or, or you know you know conference final game, I th- I think that's that's incredible. That's a testament to him letting his guy coach. And I and I think taking another iconic coach in Phil Jackson. When he becomes the leader of the Knicks, he says, "No, no, no, we're gonna we're gonna run triangle." Yep. And you know, but MJ, Pip, Kobe, and Shaq there, and so and he's got first year coach. <laughs> so yep. it, I think it's really you know that's where I think that you know you have to have that you know great partnership in in the leadership of an NBA squad to encourage you to be who you are, be yourself, and and keep developing. Prepare like the pros with the new FastDraw. FastDraw is the number one affordable coaching tool used by pro and high school level teams worldwide. With FastDraw, you can save your plays and playbooks digitally, attach video and share with other coaches and your players in seconds. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching content and resources through their blog and playbank, which features over 8,000 free plays and drills from their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Don't forget to use promo code CU10, that is CU10, to receive 10% off your next FastModel purchase. MindView is an amazing, amazing company that literally is just releasing a platform. They have developed an incredible assessment that we have just totally, totally been blown away with because on this assessment that you can take in a matter of 15 minutes or so, 20 minutes on your phone, the things that you've never been able to measure before, like resilience, grit, hope, adaptability, all these things, they are able to measure them as to how you're thinking and feeling right now. This is a game changer as far as I'm concerned. I'm a strength finder guy. I love all that. But MindView is the latest technology. It is just literally coming on the market right now. The platform that they've created is second to none. The emphasis right now on your players' mental wellness is unprecedented. I'm sold on MindView. Now it's your turn. For more information about MindView, M-I-N-D-V-U-E, please contact the COO, Cleet McQuinn. His email is cmcquinn at mindview.com or visit their website at mindview.com. When you went uh, to, let's say, the, uh, the maybe the Suns, when you went from your G League job with, uh, you know, when you were with the G League team, but now you came up to the parent team, okay? Mm-hmm. And now you're working with uh, a young Devin Booker who I had his dad in the CBA, okay, Melvin, and, and who's a terrific player. But Devin is, like, incredible. Uh, and, you know, what was it like to work with, you know, a really young kid with fabulous talent? You know, I, you touched on it. Melvin, no slouch himself, right? Obviously, oh. he was a tremendous player, CBA, Europe, yep. you know, all throughout, all throughout Italy and whatnot. 
I think that Devin's understanding of the game kind of built was built when he was young and Melvin did a great job of giving him that foundation mm-hmm. of work and to make sure that he was always going to be a separator, do whatever he had to do to separate himself from, from the group. What I loved about Devin was he loves basketball. That's number one. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, off days off, he's watching games. We're texting on different stuff. We're seeing different concepts. He has a, a thirst to get better, but he's so secure about who he is because a lot of guys say, Hey, okay. You know, if I, if I were to put together a Damian Lillard, you know, edit, right. And, and take it to, you know, uh, an all-star level player, they might say, Oh man, I'm, I'm better than Dame. Right. But book is a guy who's so thirsty to improve that he's like, no, nah, no, nah, I want, I want to see it. What can we pick up from what Dame's doing? Right. So we're looking at Devin and how we can make him a more efficient player. Right. So one of the things that we really honed in on was shooting the three point shot in the pick and roll rather than dribbling into to the mid range. Right. Because a lot of NBA teams were playing drop coverage with the five. And so we talked about pulling the level of the screen out because he's going to be an over guy. Teams are going to go over the ball screen and understanding what shots they're trying to bait him into and where there might be a better or more efficient solution. So we dove into Damian Lillard pick and roll pull up threes and he's just thirsty for that knowledge. The other thing that makes him special is his ability to learn and implement something quickly. All right. Because there's a lot of guys, you show it to them, they can see it, they can see it on video and then maybe they can execute in a drill, but to take it from video to drill, to practice and then actual game implementation for some guys, it can take a year, two years, you never know. Right. But for him, he's so quick and sharp. And then he works until he gets it right that he's able to pick up on concepts implement them into his game quickly and then take advantage of the defense. And to me, that's, that's what makes him special. It's really just his DNA, which comes down to the fact that he's not going to let anybody outwork him. He's got a special blend of talent and he's a quick learner. So the sky's the limit for the kid. And I mean, he's as good as they get. Now that's, that's so fabulous. And I can't emphasize enough when I had Melvin, it was just incredible to see how smart he was. And even though he was only a six foot or so point guard playing in a really tough league. You know, it wasn't a G League. It was a men's league almost because of the age of the players. And there were call-ups. There were 12-man rosters. And so you got guys called up all the time. And uh, I remember when I had uh, Melvin, I had, uh, you know, the Houston Rockets. This is Clyde Drexler, Houston Rockets, Elijah one. And uh, they wanted they wanted both of my guards and all of a sudden they come and they said we're going to take melvin booker melvin booker wasn't even starting for me (laughs) my starting guard you know they didn't take and melvin apologized to the kid that was the starter i went down there and played that you know the other player on my team was conzo martin the coach of missouri oh yeah i mean high character guys you know but that was what was so special and then the following year Matt Maloney, who was the starting point guard, went to the Rockets and started a 184 yeah. straight games for them, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and Melvin went to Italy and played, like, for 14 years. And, you know, but, you know, those are, those are the neat things that happen in coaching. You know, you worked in the G League. Some of the most memorable times is when I coached in the CBA because of the people. What? Who were some – did you have any – phenomenal experiences watching young people grow or get a call up and stuff like that are really you know were life-changing for those guys yeah i mean to me that was the best part about 
the G League and about some of the guys I've I've had the opportunity to to work with and to coach. And before I got, I'll tell you two quick stories. Sure. So before I got into uh, to the G League, obviously I was working with Gannon Baker, uh, running our pre-draft, and we had a guy come to our pre-draft, and he was right out of Fresno State. And he was trying to get NBA workouts. And I mean, it's actually credit to the Miami Heat. Uh, they needed a filler for a six-man workout. This guy was not on the prior- priority list. He went to the six-man workout, knocked it out of the park, got invited to Summer League, was probably the last guy off the bench in the first Summer League game, but played well. By the end of Summer League, he was leading them in scoring, goes to training camp, gets cut, goes to Sioux Falls Sky Force, gets a call up, right? Uh, two 10 days. He has, basically hasn't played until his day seven of his second 10-day. You know, we're excited that he's in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And uh, here he is. He goes to Boston, has 14 points. He goes to San Antonio, obviously, ATT Center, difficult place to win. He goes for 19 in the Miami Heat win. They guarantee his contract moving forward. And then ultimately, he signs a $50 million offer sheet. And that was Tyler Johnson. How about and, that? you know, Tyler calls me. He's, he's, he's just signed his offer sheet with the Brooklyn Nets. He tells me he's sick to his stomach, you know, all this stuff. I'm like, man, why are you talking to me? You need to get back in there and sign that thing. And, you know, to see literally a guy go from not even on the radar to a $50 million contract, right, is huge. Um, other guys that I worked with that, that have been able to do that, like Robert Covington, right, undrafted wow. out of Tennessee State, went to the G League, RGV Vipers, you know, and now he's, he's been an all-defensive player. And it's just work that separates these guys. You've even got examples like Royce O'Neal, who I love, who who was with me and Gannett for pre-draft and then had to go to Spain uh, and Germany before making it with the Utah Jazz and finding it, finding a spot. So there are different pathways to get there. Now, from my direct experience coaching, um, I coached Shaq Harrison and Josh Gray. In my, my year as the head coach of Northern Arizona, we led the league in call-ups, which was unbelievable. We had five guys, you know, get to get called up to the NBA. But the thing that I loved about Josh was Josh was a tryout player. He played a paid $100 to go to a G League tryout mm-hmm. to make the team. And all of a sudden, here he is. He was on – He he came from LSU – and he had fought some adversity coming from where he's at, and now he gets called up to the NBA. And that, to me, was that was an unbelievable moment. And then from there, he this past season, he was on a two-way contract with uh, with the Pelicans. And my perhaps my favorite was a guy who, like you mentioned, right, Melvin wasn't a starter, right? Well, I had his kid Shaq Harrison who played at Tulsa, and you know maybe I'm maybe it was me bad coaching, right? He only started five games for our G League team. But he got called up to the Suns and then eventually got a contract with the Chicago Bulls where he played this past year. So, you know, three years later, he's got three years now under his belt in the NBA. He only started five out of 50 games for us in the G League. Uh, But what he did was he showed what he could do that was translatable. Mm -hmm. Right. And he filled a role. He was a round peg in a round hole. That's what I tell guys all the time. Right. You don't want to be a square peg in a round hole because each role that these guys have in these NBA teams, there's a job description. And you have to be willing to fit that job description to a T because Devin Booker is the volume scorer, right? De- uh, DeAndre Ayton was the number one pick. So the guys that fill in around that have to fill and accept their role and then be an all-star at their role. Love Josh Gray. We had him at LSU with Ben Simmons and stuff. And he did. He had a hard story on and off the mm-hmm. court. But uh, he's a special guy in our hearts. Uh, really loved him. And I'm so proud of what he's done and uh, you know, and and you know what I love about him—he's got great resilience. So no matter oh. what happens to him in New Orleans now, he'll 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 surface somewhere somehow, 
And that's what I love about them, you know, and that that's a testament. Those, that's what that – I used to say, you know, the CBA, all the minor leagues, they're, they're, you know, a league of dreams. I'm a dream coach when I'm with those kids, just helping them fulfill their dreams. That's so cool when you when you talk about guys like that. I think it's, it's really, Cody, that's what it's all about. Let's talk about – uh, the guy I have a total man crush on, as you do, and that's Gannon Baker. Uh, Gannon Baker, <clears throat> in my opinion, is, you know, we have so many phenomenal, phenomenal player development coaches out there. And he, to me, he's the iconic guy out there. And I am so, so proud of him. Talk about what it was like to really learn that part of business from such a fabulous coach. Well, I mean, it's funny, right? I finished, so I'm playing in uh, in Spain, um, and I know it's going to be my last year, and I'm trying to find a job in college, and and I, you know, get a couple of interviews, can't get anything, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm worried about whether I got to go do what the normal Ivy Leaguesers are doing and, and start, you know, hitting the stock market and doing all that stuff, and I decided to go to a coaching clinic for Gannon Baker, and it was in Las Vegas. Funny story there is I I got my brother goes out with his wife and, and I go out and I tell my wife, yeah, we'll see the shows, we'll have some nice meals. You know what I mean? And here I was, I was in the gym for like 10 hours a day with this guy and we just kind of clicked and everything that he was talking about, like just spoke to me about what I, what I already have lived, right. In terms of not being maybe the most talented player for sure. Not the fastest, not the most athletic, all that stuff, having to really uh, dial in on the details of, developing myself in order to get to where I got to. And, um, you know, we just kind of clicked and then he calls me up randomly about seven months later and asked if I wanted to go and move out to Florida, <laughs> that there was a group called elevate sports Institute, we had a baseball program, wanted to start a basketball program. And he, and he wanted me to come out there and partner with them on it. And, uh, you know, me and my wife, we didn't think twice. We said, yes, let's go. And the funniest part about it, and this is super Gannon Baker right here, uh, anybody who knows him will get a good chuckle out of this. So I get out there and um, we move in and all this stuff. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, we're here, man. We're, we're ready to get to work and, and all that stuff. He says, cool, man. I'll see you next month. I said, what do you mean to see me next month? <laughs> well, he was still living in West Virginia because MJ was the head coach at right. Bluefield College. And when he wasn't there, he was traveling all around the world like a rock star. So I'm like, oh, Lord have mercy. What did we get ourselves into? So now. The best part about Gannon was he just dropped me in the deep end and said, hey, man, you get a sink or swim, brother. And uh, so Mike Bailey came out there with me. Mike Bailey from from uh, Hampton, Virginia, too, was Allen Iverson's high school coach. Uh, and so we go to the, this is really how I got into coaching. Right. Uh, we go to this 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 uh, fall league game and, you know, Mike's there. He's Allen Iverson's former high school coach, all this stuff. He's, he's coached. Williamsport, PA High School, their USA Today top 25, Chevy Troutman, a lot of great players. So I'm ready to like learn from him, soak it all up. And uh, so they go through the layup lines. He's standing there with me. And he says, all right, good luck. He just gives me a little pat on the butt, says, good luck. He goes up and sits in the stands <laughs> and he has me coach. I was like, I looked around. I was like, wait, wait, <laughs> wait, what? So that was my first soiree into it. And uh, to be honest with you, I was forever grateful. And he's still a mentor of mine. And, that? you know, Gannon would come in, we'd work, we'd get after it. Uh, you know, he, he helped give me the opportunity to be around pros. He is the godfather of skill development. So the next year he moves down to Florida. You know, our, our schedule was crazy. You would have loved it. It was all basketball at the time. I had a 6 a.m. practice, an 8 a.m. practice, uh, then had a break uh, from 10 to noon, then a noon practice. All of them were two-hour practices. And then we ran player development sessions in the evenings. And so we just cut our teeth because we had five teams. 
And, and each team played a 30-game schedule. I coached three of them, so I coached 90 prep school games. And uh, Gannon coached the team. We had Chad Myers, who's now at IMG Academy, coaching the team. And literally, you know, we just got to experiment. We got to figure out different ways to help different types of players, different skill levels, different skill sets. And, I mean, it, it was about as fun as it could be. Um, and, and, honestly, I owe everything in terms of my philosophies and everything I've done in the game to him and to the way he empowered me and taught me. I mean, he's, he's as good as they come. You hit the nail on the head. We're thrilled to have our longtime partners and friends at Dr. Dish Basketball on board as sponsors of the Coaching You podcast. Dr. Dish machines are undoubtedly the most user-friendly and advanced machines in the world of basketball today. Dr. Dish has completely revolutionized and reimagined the shooting machine to provide the best solution on the market. Join top programs around the world like Duke, North Carolina, Florida, and countless others and upgrade your shooting machine to Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish machines are the best way to increase purposeful reps in your program to get players better, faster, while tracking progress along the way. Dr. Dish provides so much more than just your standard shooting machines with custom training, pro trainers, and coaches on demand, real-time and detailed analytics, and top-of-the-line drills and workouts. If you're looking to take your program to the next level, look no further than Dr. Dish for the best basketball training machine in the world. If you have an old machine that's just collecting dust in your gym, did you know that you can trade that into Dr. Dish for up to $1,500 off and get a new dish? Make sure to give our friends at Dr. Dish a follow at Dr. Dish B-Ball on Twitter and Instagram for great daily drills, workouts, tips, and inspiration. Or contact us at drdishbasketball.com. Don't forget to mention Coaching You or our podcast for $300 off your purchase. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love Huddle Assist. With Assist, you get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And Assist is more than just a box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats like the line, like lineup data, VPS, and of course effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, Assist brings your stats to life. Every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com slash assist. That's H-U-D-L dot com slash assist to learn more. Let's talk about, and this is really important, I think, Cody, right now when, you know, for coaches, I've seen in the last eight months panic from young coaches. Well, how, how, how am I going to get into this business? How am I going to survive Leagues and summer leagues are canceled. Games are canceled. AAU tournaments. If they're an AAU coach, which is a you know a legit way of coaching, you know what am I doing? And what's your advice for someone that's young, right now in a pandemic? As far as what should they be focusing on as a coach? Well, you know, it, obviously these are unprecedented times, mm -hmm. and as a coach, the hardest thing to do is be patient. But if you don't hone in on the present 
right? Your future is not going to be what you want it to be. And a great Gannon Baker saying, right, there's no such thing as microwave success. <laughs> so speeding up the process doesn't mean it's going to be a home-cooked meal. And to me, right now, what I've done personally, I've spent this, this period of time uh, going through drill work. I've spent this period of time diving into um, learning concepts, how people learn. Because we talk about conceptual offense at the NBA level, but, you know, it starts with just uh, understanding how people learn, how you can get them to learn, and then how you can help them improve their decision-making process. So I dove in a lot to what they're doing over in European soccer and how they teach that game because soccer is a very free-flowing game, Mm -hmm. right? And so found some very interesting things there. And then also dove into uh, a lot of XO stuff because the bubble was going on, right? So uh, to me... Anytime I could, I could find a, a sweet concept or a new type of play or, or anything like that, that, that there's a logical connection to something that we do here in Memphis or something that we might want. My, my Dropbox, a lot of people tell you my Dropbox is for a, a small business of about 50 people because I'm storing all that stuff and I'm saving it and I'm filing it and I'm using it to, to really help me hone my craft because you can hone your craft without being on the floor. You really can. Now, of course, we know there's no re- – there's no uh, – um, there's no replacing repetition, right? Even though you're as a coach as well, right? Working on your voice, learning how to teach in bullet points, learning how to, to crisply and concisely get your, uh, your concepts across. But in the same sense, we can still get better right now, even though we're not on the floor. And I've got this wall here in my office, which I'm blessed to have. This office is amazing. Um, but you can write on the walls. And my walls right now are covered from corner to corner. I see a cool thing. I'm writing it down. I'm jotting it down. I'm filing it. And you never know when that concept, uh, you know, comes into play. Uh, case in point, you know, uh, I don't know if you guys rem- if you re- you'll, you'll probably remember this play playoff game. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks ran uh, in the game side out of bounds play. They back cut Jared Bayless from the from the right corner, took advantage of the over aggressivity to the corner, got a back cut for a layup to win a playoff game. I think this was about back in two thousand. This might have been two thousand eight, two thousand seven, and. Um, uh, it was uh, Jared Dudley made the pass, and I filed that one away for a long time. Me and Penny talked about it, and then who would have thought in Tulane last year at the end of the game, we got a side out of bounds with two seconds left, and we ran a back door from the corner for Precious Achua, and we get a wide-open shot at the rim. So you that? never know how things come together, but the most important thing that you can do is continue to try to hone your craft regardless of the circumstances. And God willing, things will let up and, and we'll be able to return to some normalcy down the road. But until that happens, right, I know one thing's for sure. You're either coming out of this pandemic better or worse. There's nobody that's saying the same. Tell me, I, I totally agree with everything you just said. Tell me about the difference between working with an NBA team, let's say the Phoenix Suns is an example, and working with a you know very good college team that was you know highly ranked last year to start the season. What's the difference that you see? The, the funny thing is, is, luckily for me, I've got that G League experience as well. But mm-hmm. even on a G League team, it, 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 I coached six McDonald's All-Americans in the G League. Wow. So just because you were good and thought everybody was McDonald's All-American figured it was a red carpet rolled out to the NBA, I'm going to the league, right? Yeah. So that experience gives me a lot of perspective and actually helps me with my voice with these players um, to get across that, man – the only way you're going to make it is through true hard work and not being satisfied and continuing to try to, to improve daily on, on everything that you have to and fill your role and all that stuff. But the difference, and this is what our guy, these guys don't understand, is 
the, 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 the NBA players who they think are just average are unbelievable. Right. They do not realize, right? You can take someone who people might consider to be an average, below average, right? He's a 10th man on a roster, and you put him out there, and he's going to make 7 out of 10 in every single drill you do shooting the three. And he's not going to miss when he's open. And he is going to make the right reads, uh, you know, 8 out of 10 times, right? While, you know, maybe the best of the best are going to make the right reads 9 out of 10 times. But if you shoot 10 balls, you can only make 10. And our guys don't realize that. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, they don't don't if you don't buy into the process, it can be hard to reap those rewards down, down, uh, you know, down further in your career, because we have guys who have talent. But in order to bridge the gap between talent and potential and actual production and getting to the next level, it's everything that's going to be in between. And I think uh, up close, I mean, I just have a much more fond understanding of how good these guys really are. And I, everybody also thinks they can play 82 games, but nobody really truly understands what that does to the body, mm-hmm. right? We want to laugh about load management, but I, I told Precious Achua and James Wiseman, there's going to be a day in the middle of February next year you don't want to play basketball. Right. Are you going to be a pro? Are you going to approach that day like a professional? Are you going to be able to find it deep within? Because the true great ones, they never let anyone down. They're not letting their teammates down. They're not letting – their coaching staff down their organization, but they're also not letting the fans down, right? I think it's, what is it, the Michael Jordan quote, quote, right, is that somebody's seen you for the first time, somebody's seen you for the last time, don't let either of them down. And the true great ones are able to find consistency, and that's what separates. Yeah, now, obviously, you know, having coached Penny on two occasions in Orlando and in New York, um, huge fan. Uh, the thing about Penny that, you know, actually was – Today, the day we're recording this is his anniversary of breaking into the NBA. You know, I don't know if you knew that. Uh, 27 years ago, Coach. Yeah. Lee, that yeah. seems like a long time. Tell him I'm sending him a cake today. But, you know, <laughs> and, and his first year that he was playing, Chuck Daly and I were coaching the New Jersey Nets after our Piston experience, and we had the Dream Team that summer. And uh, all of a sudden, I remember – we're playing against them, and we lose a game at the buzzer because that son of a gun drove and dunked the ball at the buzzer over everyone on our team to win the game. It was one of the best plays I've ever seen by any player in the league, let alone a rookie. You know, He was so, so special and such a thrill to coach a guy like that. But one of the things I loved about him, and I could tell as a young player he was, was how how much he cared about people. And, you know... Uh, and to this day, I have never forgotten that and how generous he was. And, uh, and then, you know, when I got to coaching in college, when I was at LSU, I got to watch him with the kids back home in Memphis, you know, when he had an AAU team, giving those kids a chance to make it in life. And, you know, I have so much admiration for him because we've never seen, to my knowledge, too many. You, you might tell me I'm wrong. There's never been, in my opinion, a superstar player, not a role player, a superstar player that's coached an AAU team in the in the, in the summer, and that was that was a real passion of his, and and he helped so many kids, and that and that's to me one of his greatest accomplishments, and I'm so proud of him now, coaching in college where he can really make an impact. What's it like working for him? Well, first of all, I'll say you hit the nail on the head. Um, and the first time I get a call, right, because I didn't know him. I had no affiliation to Memphis. So I get a call, you know, and he's 
asked if I'd be interested to talk to him about a spot on his staff, you know, the first reaction is like, who is this? Somebody's playing a prank on me, right? Ha ha. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, cause obviously he was one of my favorites growing up watching him, you know, blue chips, you know, still one of my favorite movies. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. This is, uh, is this really Penny Hardaway? But what he, what he, what makes him so unique is he, uh, does what he says and he says what he does, right? He's not a guy who's going to operate in between. He's super genuine and he's always going to keep his word. Uh, and, and I think that's really what, what, what separates how he coaches these guys because he truly cares. Let's be honest. This, he could be doing anything in the world, right? right sure. Here's here's a guy. He could be on a beach sipping pina coladas. He doesn't have to be doing this. But he comes back, obviously, because of his, his friend got cancer, and, and he starts coaching at the grassroots level. And I think you're exactly right. I'm not familiar with other than Kobe Bryant coaching his daughter, right, a superstar player coaching in, in you know, eighth grade, middle school, working his way up to AAU, um, implementing – study halls to help these guys making yep. sure that they're getting their education, micromanaging that just in generally caring for them um, and, and providing mentorship that a lot of them need coming from very difficult circumstances. So when you see that, that growth that, that he showed to those players and like that care that he gave to those guys, that's how he coaches our team. There is no question. All of our players understand what they mean to him and he voices that every day. And to me, that's what makes him, uh, such an easy guy to work for and it's such an easy guy to play for, right? You're going to want to run through uh, a, a brick wall for this guy, right? And then I think the one thing that's underrated right now because we've had some success on the recruiting trail is is his ability to actually coach, right? Like in mm-hmm. terms of uh, we had we held opponents last year, Coach, you'll, you'll appreciate this, to 36.1% wow. shooting. It was number one in the country. They sent us our plaque from the NCAA. It wasn't Virginia. It wasn't Texas Tech. So to be in your – year two and to coach the youngest team in the country and hold opponents to 36.1%. That is no small task. And he demands accountability in that defensive end of the floor. And then we, we're, we're playing a lot of the conceptual stuff. He's trusting our guys on offense, right? Because obviously he was trusted. Mm-hmm. He was trusted to be a special player. So he's not putting any of our guys in a box. And so that means we're going to be leaning on our player development to help our guys buy into the process of improvement. Because when you have that trust, Right, you can't abuse it, and we've got to be able to take care of the ball and find high value shots. But to me, if I was a player, that's exactly what I would want. So it's it's been a great experience so far, and you know, God willing, we have a season and, and we're able to to continue to improve and, and and help the University of Memphis, the people, and obviously our players. I love that, Cody. L- last thing, um, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're two weeks away from the NBA draft, believe it or not, in November. <laughs> that's a first. Uh, you have two guys that have a real shot uh talk about each one of them yeah i'll talk about uh james first i mean obviously uh you know james did not finish the season with us but we had him for a a, a long amount of time and coach obviously has coached him you know for years at this point great kid high character kid hard worker guy who's going to do everything that you ask of him um and his versatility is what's going to allow him I think to have an elite impact on the defensive side in today's game, being able to switch and contain smaller guards, but also being able to be a great rim protector and a drop coverage. He's going to be really good at that. He can stretch his, his, uh, his shooting out to the three point line, which I think will surprise a lot of people. And he's really good at, at playmaking and DHOs to the second side. So he's going to have a chance to be, to be really, really good. I'm very excited for him. Obviously, you know, once a tiger, always a tiger is our mentality. So uh, I don't see him dropping past, you know, the third pick in the draft and whoever gets him 
is really going to going to going to like uh, the person that he is and the player that he'll become. And when you talk about Precious, you know, here's a kid who he was not a guaranteed one and done. You know, um, he played his way into into getting into the NBA draft. He truly earned it. And he's a kid who bought into the process of getting better. He came early. He stayed late. He worked tirelessly on his shot. Right. He shot about 32 percent from the three. But there's big upside there. Clearly one of the most physically gifted players um, out there in terms of ability to guard one through five. And he can't ski, could literally guard any position on the floor. And he's about as athletic as they come. His defensive instincts, I think, are going to carry him early. But he's also a guy who's going to be able to attack closeouts. And he's another guy who, as he kind of – because just when you come in here and walk through these doors here at the University of Memphis, right, um, you know, just because you were were rated high, were McDonald's All-American, or however many stars by your name, there is going to be a learning curve. And he's a guy who fought some early season adversity, but he bought into the process of improvement. He brought into what coach was preaching every day, and then he reaped awards at the end. So when it goes like that for a player, you root for guys like that because success is not some constant growth, right? There's going to be there's going to be steps forward and there's going to be steps back. And it's really how you, re- re- you know, respond to the adversity that separates, you know, good from great. And Precious is a kid who has a chance to be real special. We're excited for both of those guys. And hopefully they're the first of many under Penny Hardaway's tutelage to go to the NBA and then have success. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, it's going to be Amen. a special night for those kids, boy. And I'll tell you what. And, uh, and you know, you've been around them and you've seen guys that, are, you know, and it's a, it's a life-changing experience. But uh I love both kids, uh, and I'm I'm really anxious to see uh, who picks Wiseman because I think they're going to get a gem with him. You know, and it's going to really be interesting. Absolutely, there's no doubt. Well, I got to tell you, Cody, uh, this is a long time coming. You know, I want we wanted to get together and do this podcast for a long time now. I thank Gannon for, you know, helping me. Uh, Say, get the segue into this, but uh, also very envious of Penny in that he gets to work with you every day uh, because uh, I love people to stimulate my thinking and I can learn and grow from and you're that kind of guy. So thanks so much for being on and making all of our coaches a little smarter. Thank you, my brother. Coach, I, I appreciate you. I'm just trying to pay it forward for everything that you and Coaching You Live have done for me. So definitely appreciate those kind words, though, and appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Cody. Um, I tell you what, one of the really intriguing basketball guys you get to talk to. And, you know, as we said, during this whole time, this has become one of the golden ages of learning as a coach. Take advantage of it. This is one of the premier teachers out there, Cody Toppert, University of Memphis. Thank you, my brother. Till next week, this is the coach, Brendan Sarah.